Hi, I'm Tennille. And I'm Kelsey. And we're financial advisors from Allman Partners True Wealth, bringing you thought-provoking conversations around you, your money and your life on the Wealth Experience Podcast. Welcome to Wealth Experience. Today we have a real meaty episode for you in an area that we get questions on a fair bit, which is loans from family members. We're going to dive into what you need to know about giving gifts and uh, versus creating loans, what happens if you get it right, and understand the legal impacts in this area as well. Today we have a special guest, Suzanne Brown from Mackay Solicitors, where she's a director and leading commercial solicitor. Suze has been a pivotal member of the Mackay community with appointments to different board positions and many professional accolades, including being in the 30 under 30 best lawyers in Australia and Courier Mail's 20 under 40 business leaders in Queensland. Wow. Welcome, Suze. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. In the hot seat. <laughs> That's right. No, it's not hot seat. We're not going to put you under pressure. We might a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you are so great in this area, so we're very excited to have you. So I think it would be really good to know a little bit more about you, Suze. So we know you're in your 30s, you're a director of a really successful law um, business and doing amazing things in the field. As Tanil just spoke through all the achievements that you've already had. Um, but what makes you as a person tick? How do you do all of that? <laughs> Uh, I'm like the swan that you see that's like seamless on the surface, but there's legs and everything going on <laughs> underneath. Um, in my 30s, gee, I'm pushing the back end of that now. <laughs> um, 40s looking closer every day. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm married uh, to my wonderful husband, Zeb, uh, and I have two beautiful children, uh, Jacob and Gabriella. Uh, they are seven and ten. Uh, they keep me incredibly busy. It's hard juggling the work-life mum balance. Mm. Uh, I'm very lucky. It takes a village, they say, and I have a really great village. So my mum and dad help me a lot uh, so that I can do my professional role whilst balancing the kids. Family is really important to me, though. Uh, so I do try and make time and prioritise that. Uh, on the weekends and things, I love to hang out with my friends. Uh, coffee's my poison. So you'll see me at Jamaica Blue every day of the week. Uh, and, I think um, that was where I seen you last time, actually. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, lots of parties and very social. Bit of a socialite. So, yeah. 100%. percent you are very gregarious. You're so outgoing. Um, where do you find all your energy, Suze? That's what I want to know. Because that's a lot to pack in. It is. Oh, it goes up and down uh, depending on my level of sleep and what the kids are doing at the time but uh, I'm really lucky I actually get energy just from you know people like yourselves I feed off being around great people and I think you know they say who you hang with is what you will be is, yeah. is you know and and I'm so blessed to be surrounded at work with amazing business partners great staff my family's just incredible and I have just the best friends so mm. I keep my circle relatively small but I'm really lucky. That's where I sort of get my energy from because yeah. none of it's effort. Yes. Mm. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. And um, we, I always find this really special because Suze and I have a very big bond. I actually, Suze employed me in my first job, my first real professional job when I left school. And that was so long ago now. I think back and go, this was over 15 years ago. So I was working as Suze's personal assistant. And now we've got kids that are the same age. So Leo and Gabby are actually seven weeks apart. I remember when Suze told me she was pregnant and I went, oh my goodness, I am 
too. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this. This is cool. Yeah. yeah. It's really special. They've grown up together as besties, whether they like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> At one stage, they said they'll have to go and get married, but we can't really go and plan those things, <laughs> no. can we? They'll have their own little loves in life, I'm sure. I think they're still in the stage of girls and boys are icky to each other. <laughs> Let's hope so. Time's yeah. probably going to turn in a few years, Neil, and I'll be keeping an eye on your son. You're going to need the locks on the window, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> uh, but I was very lucky to work with Suze um, so early on, and I mean, we're only a few years apart in age, but I remember looking at Suze and thinking, you're just this superwoman, you know, you're coming in here, you're, you're owning this place, um, getting involved in the community in such a heavy way, people looked up to you, as, and you just have this way about you so um, for me that makes me feel super proud to be able to have a role model like Suze in my life so young in my professional career um, but I want to know a little bit about how you came to be a solicitor in the first place I know it has something to do with Legally Blonde surely <laughs> it definitely does I've been told not to tell people <laughs> this anymore meant to be a you know polished partner of a law firm now but the truth of it is I decided to be a lawyer after seeing Reese Witherspoon wearing hot pink, which is my favourite colour, um, <laughs> and, um, you know, using legal jargon in everyday life, uh, <laughs> and um, I was sold. But, you know, as much as people laugh when I say it was Legally Blonde that made me want to be a lawyer, I actually think that movie inspired a new generation of lawyers, and yeah. I think it had, you know, a huge amount of girl power mm, um, that's right. when everyone was against her. And, you know, I've actually faced so many situations through my career where that are Reese Witherspoon situations, um, particularly when I've gone down to Brisbane to do my specialisation. I remember when I told the male partners who were doing it with me um, that I was from Mackay, they literally laughed at me. Really? So I've always oh been goodness. the underdog of law and, you know, particularly being female in yeah. quite a male-dominated area. I've taken a lot of strength from that movie and, and it's actually um, been one of my inspirations. I actually used to watch Legally Blonde before every exam period. I was going to say, do you go back to it to get re-motivated? Like, yeah, it was like my hype-up. Like <laughs> Suck up. So, yeah, no, it was Legally Blonde. I've always liked English and debating, though, Uh and I'm very analytical, a perfectionist, which works really well in law because, you know, one word can change everything. So I, <laughs> I just, you know, I'm not really m much good at anything else, but I think it's my jam. I've always just had this bent towards law and I've been really lucky to find my area of law too because law is actually just so wide. Mm. And then initially, I actually wanted to be a criminal prosecutor. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then I That's found... That's a power suit moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I found my way working through my... Men working for my mentor, Andrew Coates, um, who's just like my second father, and he's been amazing in my career, and I've found my place in commercial law. So tell us a bit about commercial law then. So for our listeners, how does commercial law differ um, to some of the other areas like family law and those bits and pieces? What, what's, um, what's the what's specialty there? So it's really wide. Uh, I do everything from succession, so wills, estates, uh, contested wills to businesses. I'm a business law specialist, so I do front to end of businesses, setting them up, running them, disputes involving businesses, business structuring, asset protection, right through to uh, bust-ups, um, winding businesses up. Uh, I do a lot of mining 
these days. Um, some local government. Uh, I do general uh, commercial leases. Uh, so yeah, just really wide range of of things. I don't. I do a little bit of commercial litigation, uh, but I don't sue too many people. <laughs> um, I'm more of a lover than a fighter, so I like making deals and uh, creating opportunities rather than fighting over things. I will if I have to, uh, and I'm pretty mean, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, definitely love helping people and being an integral part of their success, both personally and professionally. Gee whiz, there's not a lot that you don't do in there, but if we had um, business clients um, – particularly that's where the the real suit is because um, you, you can hear very strong through the commercial section that there's a lot that you do for business business owners and people that are in business as well too yeah yeah mm. yeah so you've already achieved a great deal in your career Susan, that we spoke about already but what's been your absolute best moment so far uh, so I, as I said, I'm a business law accredited specialist with the Queensland Law Society. And if you break that down, what that means in layman terms is if you think of like your GP doctor, uh, and then you think of, they refer you off to heart specialist. So that's sort of the equivalent in law. So I've done extra training and qualifications to actually be a business law specialist. Uh, and they only run the course every two years. And to do it, you have to have so many years practice, have recommendations from peers, and you have to be accepted in. So in my year, there was seven people accepted and three that passed, um, of which I was oh, one man. of them. And my best moment was I was actually really blessed that year. I achieved the highest marks for the state. And so I, at the awards ceremony, got to uh, have an award presented to me from the Chief Justice. So oh goodness, why does that not surprise special. me? Yeah, so that was probably <laughs> my my glory moment, it's particularly amazing. given it's so hard to pass the specialisation. So many people fail and do it multiple times, and I was really lucky to get through first go yeah. and um, and top the state in my marks. And um, all my family came. My my grandma, who was alive at the time, she's now passed, but she came down from Toowoomba, and it was just a really nice moment of all that hard work. I actually did my specialisation too. Um, six months after I had Gabby, my first wow. child. Wow. So I literally was um, overshare, but I was literally having to pump milk the whole time I was down doing the exams and, you know, it was quite the battle. I was getting up through the night and things at the time. So, yeah, it was it was a bit of an effort. So, yeah, that's, that's probably my major achievement so far. That's pretty incredible, Suze, and the tenacity to kind of make that happen six months after a baby is, yeah, phenomenal. So that, that is a big achievement. Absolutely. And I, I think your hard work and ethic shines through in everything that you do, but that's a that's a huge accolade for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to follow then with something um, a little harder. So law is not an easy area, right? Um, I know that after working in, in law for 12 months and, and being a PA and doing all of that space, I kind of made the decision, I'm going to jump over to the easy world and get into financial planning. Um, I'm not sure that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you've stuck that out. Uh, and it's an extremely hard field. I'm sure there's a lot of heavy stuff that you have to deal with at times um, and you can kind of feel like, like you say, the meat in the sandwich when you're having to fight for, for people and for what's right. And um, what's one of the hardest things that you've come across in your career? Something we get all the time, which is hard, and you almost as a lawyer, as, as you guys would as a financial advisor, you become a bit of a pseudo counsellor half the time, mm. um, particularly when people are going through quite emotional times in their lives with legal disputes. 
one of the main things though is it's people want to fight over the principle. I hear it all the time, but it's the principle. Mm-hmm. And one thing as a lawyer, a, well, a good lawyer will guide their client around, okay, but how much is your principle worth? And what are the risks of fighting for the principle? Sometimes taking the settlement is the better option commercially from a cost point of view, a stress point of view, a risk point of view. Because if you end up in court, you have, you know, you might lose. You never know what's going to happen on a day in court. Depends mm-hmm. on the judge, depends how the evidence comes out and you run a strong risk that you might have costs awarded against you. So, you know, I'm happy to have the fight. I'll take it all the way. But equally, if along the way I can see that there's a better commercial outcome for my client, even when they're not thinking straight, I see that we have a major role in helping them to see that sometimes you need to lose the battle to win the war mm-hmm. and not just fight for the principle. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously another thing on a personal level is uh, – Things have changed now. There's more female graduates coming out than male law graduates. But when I entered the world of law, uh, to become a female partner was incredibly challenging. There weren't many. It was almost like pioneering the way. And it's been very, very hard. And my dad actually always used to say to me, dirty dancing reference, nobody puts Susie in the corner. <laughs> He'd always pet talk me and say, put your big girl pants on. You're just as good as any of those guys. Go in and suck it to them, baby. So <laughs> my dad's, strangely enough, it's been the males in my life who have been the biggest supporters and mentors, professionally included. Mm. Some of my best mentors, um, Craig Doyle, when he was CEO of Mackay Council, Tony Caruso, um, you know, ex-mastermind managing director. Um, you know, I've had some amazing male mentors who have really pushed me along and I never saw myself as a female but more a person and so that really helped me yeah and I think a big part of that is your confidence you know because you gave the people around you that you know wanted to mentor you and support you the confidence Mm -hmm. so I've really taken that approach as a female professional um, is you know I don't get too precious about it I just you know forget gender whether you're male female we're all just people in the professions, so. Yeah. I think it is very empowering for, for men and yeah. for women to, to understand that, uh, yeah, you can be you can be a professional, you can be great in your chosen area, and if we do, if we can overlook gender and just be the best version of ourselves, that's going to shine through, and I think you're a brilliant example of that. Mm, yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that about yourself and all the personal stuff. That's fantastic. Probably overshare. No, it's just really, really good for for us and for our listeners. It's been really fantastic. But let's get stuck into our topic this morning. Oh, I'm excited about this one. Yeah. So what we're talking about, just a bit of a recap, is creating loans from related parties. So not the typical, you go to your bank and get a loan, um, but say perhaps parents lending to their children, which is something that we see quite often. And Sue's where do you see um, this the most? Where do you see this happening the most? The so lending. It's, uh, it's rearing its head again at the moment. As soon as you see interest rates start going up on loans, you know, we're seeing um, business loans and things coming through at over 9% at the moment. Mm-hmm. So people will often then turn to family members for funding uh, and they'll want to do loans. Um, this is where people really go wrong and where the wheels fall off uh, is number one in bankruptcy and particularly and where we see so many war stories is in family law. 
Yeah. If yep. people bust up. So say even, for example, common scenario, hubby and wife want to go and buy a house mm-hmm. and um, the parents have some money invested in a term deposit and they say, well, you know, you're going to be paying this interest rate. We're only getting this from our term deposit. How about we lend you the money and you just pay us what we otherwise would have got in the term deposit? Yeah. Now, if that money just comes across, then... Even if it's all understood within the family group as being a loan, if it's not documented and there's not some key attributes going with the loan, then if that hubby and wife were to bust up, there is a strong possibility that in a family law court that it will be argued to be a gift. And we see this every day. I've got multiple cases at the moment where this argument's happening. Mm -hmm. So what makes them different? What are some of those incremental things? Because I'm sure it's just these little things and you spoke about having it written down, but is that enough? Is there anything else within that? Yeah. So with respect, a lot of the accountants think that they do enough by just recording it on the books in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, And even I've seen some of them shoot out some basic loan agreements, but that's not necessarily going to cut it. It ha- the, the more commercial, the more it looks and feels like a loan, the better. So what you want to have is definitely you want it documented in the form of a loan agreement. You want it beyond doubt. Mm-hmm. And one big thing in terms of documenting it in a loan agreement is who is the loan to? So are the parents just giving it to their daughter or is the loan to the daughter and the son-in-law? Ideally, you want to capture both parties because otherwise then when the family law court looks at it, then if it's falling just on the daughter, then the son-in-law might argue, well, no, that's her loan. Nothing yeah. to do with me. Yep. So, because ultimately, you know, what you want to do is make sure that we're securing that the parents are going to get paid back at the end of the day, mm-hmm. regardless of what happens. It's not just divorce either. It's, you know, death. If, you know, what if one of the parties was mm-hmm. to die? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens with it? Is it going to be repaid from the estate? Mm-hmm. So definitely having it documented When you document it, the other attributes you want to have is some sort of a repayment schedule. Mm, So repayments are important and it doesn't have to be a huge amount, but there just has to be some sort of um, consistent periodic payment, repayment of the loan, a certain amount every year or something. Um, If you can have interest... That's also a good a good part to it. Does so, the interest have to be relative to where interest rates are in in the market, or is that an agreed upon interest rate is fine? Not necessarily. Hmm. Yeah, agreed upon interest rate will be fine. Um, that doesn't impact. From, I'm not sure whether it impacts on the financial world, but from a legal perspective, it can be a loan and be a non-commercial interest rate and still be classified as a loan, which yeah. is repayable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, some sort of security is ideal. So, you know, if you think of if someone went and borrowed from a bank, the bank's always going to take a mortgage over the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having the parents secured by a second mortgage you know, for example, is is ideal. Some sort of security. Uh, Now, that all needs to be handled carefully, particularly if the kids are borrowing from the bank, from a financier, as well as the parents. Mm -hmm. The loan from the parents will need to be disclosed to the bank. Uh, And also, usually the bank, there'll be some process around them doing deeds of priority um, and consenting to that second mortgage going on. So that's important as well. If they're not borrowing from an external financier, then the parents can, of course, get the first mortgage. And what I mean by first and second, that's an order of payment. Mm. So the rule goes, whoever registers first gets paid out first 
And then if you have a second mortgage, it's only if there's something left over from the sale of the house after the first mortgage has been paid out that then would go to the second mortgagee. Right. Okay. So uh, even with these tips, you know, can somebody go, well, I'm just going to write this up on a piece of paper. I'm going to put all those points in there myself. Or really, is it a case of for this to be really watertight, you should go to a lawyer like yourselves and get something formally drawn up? What's your thoughts on that? Being a lawyer, you're probably going to say, come in and get the document drawn up, no doubt. It's a bit like the homemade wills. It depends how they're completed. You know, they Mm. can be valid if they're done properly. So that's a hard question. If someone does document the loan uh, in an appropriate way around, you know, I'm advancing this money to you. It must be repaid on these terms over this period. Here's the default events where it becomes fully repayable, you know, if you don't make your repayments or mm-hmm. if one of you was to die or become insolvent. Yeah. I, I guess it's also people probably aren't going to think of all the issues that mm. we would think of. Yeah. So yeah. someone can definitely do up their own loan agreement and it be valid. It's just whether they know what to do. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's um, what do you not know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. simply writing... Yeah. I'm loaning you this money full stop, probably isn't going to cut it. The other thing is if you are going to take security, uh, then you won't be able to really do that yourself. Um, Obviously then mortgages will have to be prepared and and things like that. There'll have to be terms attached to the mortgage. And so it is definitely, of course, best to get legal advice to do it properly. Also depending on on what the value of the loan is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting topic because, you know, we see it amongst our client base sometimes. It's done in a real casual manner sometimes. And it's not till after the fact where you kind of go, you know, everything you think would be safe it's just your family everyone's going to do right and they're not really thinking about the implications and oh it'd be paid back when it's paid back Mm. um so it's really good to open those conversations and understand that a little bit further i mean you must have seen some hairy situations where everybody thought it would be okay yeah so the other thing is where you have people who inverted commas loan money to their children and it's just like oh yeah just pay it back whenever you can yeah no stress that's probably going to be viewed as a gift if it's argued mm-hmm. in a court. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all turns on what the court decides on the day. But, you know, if you flip it over to the other side and if the other party was to argue, oh, that's a gift or, you know, not a loan that was never really intended to be repaid, yeah. um, then the court might view it as a gift. Yeah. And what happens if that happens is basically then it means that that doesn't come off the matrimonial pool as a debt that has to be paid back. That'll sit on someone's side of the ledger. And the way that family law works is the court will look at contributions in, in, in deciding what percentage of the matrimonial pool um, a party will receive. So if it's decided that it's a gift and it falls on a particular party's side, then that's definitely going to be considered as a contribution into the relationship and it might adjust the percentages. Mm-hmm. But of course, that doesn't secure necessarily that the parents are going to get paid back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's in sort of a personal context, but obviously then if they're loaning to a business, then they also need to be careful about thinking of, well, who I'm actually loaning to here. Like whilst mm. it's my son's business, it's it may be that the son's structured as a company, in which case the loan's going to be to the company, in which case the security you're going to take might be different. You might be taking a security interest over, you know, all present and after acquired assets of the company, which is the previous sort of fixed and floating charge, if people are familiar with that term. We have a new regime called personal property security register now. Most people won't be familiar with that. So that's the sort of thing that, you know, as lawyers, we would be advising people on what sort of security they should be taking 
risking, uh, particularly if you're lending to businesses. Businesses are risky. So if someone's lending personal money in, mm-hmm. including the owners, um, you should be taking steps to try and make sure that if the business goes down, that you will be a secured creditor. Mm-hmm. not an unsecured creditor. Because mm-hmm. in that case, secured creditors get paid out first before all the unsecured creditors. And the unsecured creditors, in terms of the orders, um, often they're paid out equally and they might only get 20 cents of what they're owed in the dollar. Mm-hmm. So if somebody in practical terms has a loan in place and they've done all the right things, they've set set the legal documents up, um, just in, in simple practical terms, and how do they show that they've made repayments? You know, when you're at a bank, it's very simple. I see the transfer happens from one account to the other account, but is there some way that they need to show that repayments are made? And then secondly, how do they complete out of a loan arrangement? So how do they go, okay, this loan arrangement's now done because it's it's down at zero. Is there further paperwork that they need to do then? what's What do you recommend there? Um, so in terms of the repayments, Having, I recommend it be cash flowed and bank account transactions, uh, you know, that's a good way to show it because they're traceable. Mm. So if it's, you know, recorded as repayment, then at least we're going to see it on the side of the ledger on the statement from the child and we're going to see it come into the parent's account. So it's as simple as that, really. So there's no sort of formal documentation that has to be drawn or anything. Once the loan agreement's set up properly, then that all just happens mechanically. Mm. Once it's all paid out, Technically, then the loan becomes extinguished because it's paid out and you don't really need to do anything. One thing I do see done, though, is sometimes people want it acknowledged in some way that the loan is paid out. And that is particularly for state planning purposes so that, you know, there can't be a dispute amongst the children about if there's money still owing. So then, um, you know, particularly if it's recorded in the will around loans that are to be repayable or forgiveness of gifts that are to be adjusted of someone's share, people will often come in and say, can you amend the will to take that bit out? Mm -hmm. And can you do like, you know, um, some sort of documentation that clears it, that shows everyone that that loan's fully repaid? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, it seems very logical. And um, is there a certain level that this is worthwhile for consideration? So, you know, we might have listeners that are going, well, um, my, if my parents loaned me $10,000 put towards a car and I have to pay that over time, it, is this something that everybody should be thinking about? Or is is there some level of risk involvement that you kind of go, oh, maybe maybe I don't need to just yet? I think it's going to depend on the risk tolerance of the individuals. I mean, no one's probably going to lose $10,000. I think the level you would go to would be different. Mm. So, and and this isn't legal advice. This is just, I guess, a feel from my own personal perspective. If someone uh, wanted to loan $10,000, I would do something basic in writing. That might be a situation where they might want to try and do something up that's a little bit more informal uh, versus having a full loan agreement. Uh, and have it acknowledged by the other party that it is a loan, that it is repayable, and these are the terms of the loan. Uh, if it's a larger amount, so yeah, if it's like a hundred grand towards a house or a business or something, then I think you'd go a lot more formal. You'd do a proper loan agreement, and you'd be thinking about security. Mm-hmm. So I think the key for people is, what risk do I want to take? Um, to secure me not losing this. Yeah. And how do you see that play out differently, perhaps, Suze, with personal relationships? You know, perhaps a couple that are not married, spouses lend into the other spouse, still the same sort of situation, do a loan agreement, 
anything hairy to unpack within that that's perhaps, you know, not a parent lending to a child that's yeah, a bit different? definitely. And I've seen a war story recently about this one uh, where uh, there was some advances made and um, it was recorded... It wasn't recorded as a loan uh, in the transfers and the bank statements, but it was... Uh, understood to be a loan by all parties until they busted. Mm. Then in the court, it was, no, that wasn't a loan. Where does it say it's a loan anywhere? It's a gift. And so then it's going to be fought. And, and you know, I guess the other thing to it is if it's really clear, I know some people are like, oh, I don't want to spend the money on the front end getting it done. Well, if it, if it might cost you a couple of hundred or even, you know, if you're doing security and things, if it might cost you, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars to get it right on the front end, for peace of mind, you're not going to lose it. Trust me, it is a hell of a lot cheaper to do it that way than to for it to end up in court. Mm. Because, you know, the inside of a courtroom, you're looking at anywhere, depending on the nature of the dispute, you won't get in there for under 60,000 60, per side. Um, and then, you know, it can be up 100, 150 grand per side wow. to be fighting over this type of issue mm. as to whether or not it's a, a gift or a loan. And, you know, I guess referring back to what's my major challenge with clients, unfortunately, I'd be having conversations with my client along the way going, well, hang on, you're fighting over 100 grand here. Are you going to spend 100 grand to go to court to try and win it? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to try and settle it and accept 50? Because commercially, you're going to end up with more that way than if you go and fight it. They've still lost 50, but they haven't spent 100 trying to get 100. They've Mm -hmm. still got 50, so they're 50 ahead. And that's where it gets really tricky. So, yeah. Something else which I just touched on, which is probably really worth talking about, is then also, so obviously there's a front end of thinking about documenting the loan agreement, but I referred to estate planning before as well. Mm, yeah. So then people thinking through, okay, well, what if what if the parents died? Say the parents have lent their child money. How do they want that treated on in their estate? Mm-hmm. So ordinarily, a debt would be repayable by mm. the child's estate. Yeah. But what we see often happen is people will either forgive the gift and or they may have an adjustment come out of that child's share. So say they've got three kids and, you know, they're each entitled to 200000 each and one child was um, owed 100000 they might say, well, we want that to come off their share. So effectively then that child only gets 100 yeah. and the other 100 gets divided between the other two children. Make no mistake, though, it creates disputes amongst children because even though people do an adjustment, then the arguments that sort of prop up with other children are, well, hang on a minute, you know, they've had the benefit of that money for 10 years that I haven't. I've had to wait 10 years to get my inheritance. If I had that money, I could have invested it. I could have got interest. Mm. I could have done this. I could have Mm. done that. So it is really important to just think through. And these are all the things we'll be thinking, you know, talking to clients about is how do you manage those family relationships? Sometimes it's just a matter of having a bit of a family meeting, mm. which I know you guys are a big um, fan of. Absolutely. And facilitate. Yeah, getting all the stakeholders in the room together and, and talking through those issues. Yeah, yeah, getting everybody in agreement and on the same page um, rather than it being a surprise at the end and then, you know, parents are dead and all the kids are bickering. Mm. I suppose yeah, this gets harder as well when it's blended families. Yes. Too. That would mm. be the next layer of, you know, thinking through that from an estate planning perspective too. Yeah, absolutely. So any traps with that sort of thing that you see with loan agreements? Well, yeah, I guess just then you've got uh, non-blood related who are probably going to fight harder against each other. So, um, you know, it all comes down to what the relationship is. Mm. Um, 
And relationships are the, are the difficult thing at times, you know, because uh, there's there's something to be said for mixing family and business together as well too because we're talk, talking a lot about for business owners in particular, there can be oftentimes that you're lending money from family or you're involved with the family in some way in the business. Um, what do you see any particular risks that it poses when you know family um, get into business with one another, particularly around things like agreements, because it can be a little less formal. You know, it can be a little bit more. Yep, yeah, we just we're going to do the the right thing by one another, but maybe it's not documented as well as it, it could be. Yeah, definitely. If uh, more than one party are going to go into business together, then there should definitely be some sort of a commercial marriage agreement. Uh, depending on the structure, that might look like a shareholders agreement or a partnership agreement, um, which is almost like your prenup. Mm. And it goes through all the different scenarios and documents how things will be dealt with on those scenarios. Another thing which is really important is all parties should be keeping a watchful eye on the finances. And in shareholders agreements, sometimes we'll put limits as controls. So, you know, that, for example, transactions over $5,000 must have two of the parties sign, not just one, so that we can keep a bit of an eye on it. Because even, you know, I, I saw a dispute come through the firm the other day where one particular person, these two friends went into business together, one person put all the money in as an inverted commas loan, not documented anywhere. Um, the other party's gone and squandered it all. Mm. The party that loaned it didn't realise the money's gone. The business is basically insolvent. Yeah. And they're like, well, I want to be paid my money back. So, well, there's nothing in the business. There's You have no loan agreement. You have no security. You didn't get security from the other guy. So basically... That's it. That's They're it. not going to the get paid back. Yeah, yeah, money's not there. Yeah. So, and because also there was no security, even if it was liquidated, they will be a non-secured creditor. Mm. And that's if they can actually prove the loan up. Yeah. So you see that so often. The other thing too, in terms of documenting loan agreements, we've talked about, you know, estate planning. We talked about divorce. Um, there's also, if you just have a falling out with your family members who have lent you the money. Mm. And then, you know, I guess having a loan agreement with set terms around repayments and things means that those family members, if they say, oh, well, we don't like you anymore, they can't just call it in and be like, well, you have to repay the whole lot within 14 days. Because yeah. that might mean someone's effectively going to have to sell their house, lose their house. Mm. Whereas if it's documented, then you can enforce that as a contract. Yeah. The other thing too is if the parents lose capacity yeah, and all sure. of a sudden you're then not dealing with them directly where it might have all been fine and dandy, you might be dealing with their attorneys, mm -hmm. which might be your other siblings or someone, you know, independent uh, who takes a different view on the world. So there's all these issues. So it, it is just better off to have it all done properly up front. Then there can really be minimal dispute. Mm. This In talking through all this, is I'm thinking being on the side of the fence that you are and seeing all these things, do you become quite sceptical about human beings? <laughs> um, I do. Because I think people, you know, everyone enters into everything with good faith for the most part. You know, everyone wants to believe that people are going to do the right thing, but you probably get to see of a lot of people not really doing the right moral thing in the space that you work in. I think... Um be careful about going into business with family is the age-old rule. If you're going to do it, do it as a proper commercial business transaction. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do it as family members. Do it as though it was me and you mm -hmm. going in. 
people don't always do that well either. So I think the thing is don't trust anybody and um, document it and think think about what could happen and plan yeah. for the worst yeah. up front. Because even, you know, even with two parties going into business together, um, say Tanil and I went into business together, then we get on great. I'm sure we'd work it all out and it'll be happy days. But if yesterday, which didn't happen, Tanil got hit by a bus, then all of a sudden... I'm potentially dealing with Tanil's husband, Todd. Mm -hmm. And Todd is probably a bit more of a hard nut. (laughs) (laughs) He wants another boat, okay? So (laughs) maybe him and I aren't going to get along so well in the business. Or, you know, it brings up other issues. I guess we're diverting away from the loan topic, but just generally, Mm. you know, if Tanil and I are both working in the business and all of a sudden, you know, Todd, Todd isn't a financial advisor, so what's he contributing to the business? So then there's resentment and, well, you're not doing, you're getting half the profit, but you're not doing half the work. And there's so many issues that arise, which we work through with people. Yeah, it's preparing for that unknown, isn't it, really? It is. And if it's too awkward to go and get a a loan agreement put in place now, it's probably going to be too awkward for you to talk about it after you've got the money exchanged as well, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's it's a much easier conversation to have up front rather than we get into the issues and then we try and work it out from there. Mm. I think with loans too, having trigger points of repayment, having them really clear. So, for example, if the money was to buy a house, for example, then... Um, you know, how is the family going to feel if then the kids are off buying expensive boats and buying other things and priority repaying that loan? Mm. Also then, what happens if that house gets sold? Does the money have to be repaid back? So thinking through all those trigger points of if, you know, if that happened, would the money be paid back or can they keep the loan and go and do whatever else with it? Yeah. So... There's a lot of actual thinking through and conversations to be had. You're exactly right, though. Even, you know, spouse to spouse um, is is a tricky one. And, and in fact, you know, quite often you'll have someone come into the relationship and someone might have some cash and then the other party might owe money on one of their investment properties or something. And it's like, oh, well, hang on, there's no point you paying interest when I've got this cash, so I'll put it across the table here. Mm. So, you know... All of that should be, I know it's a bit unromantic, um, but that should be discussed openly. Everyone just needs to be adults, really. Yeah. And just think about, you know, we love each other today, but what happens if tomorrow you find a new floozy and (laughs) decide that I'm a bit old and want to trade me in, then I want to make sure that that money's going to come back to me. Or if you die, I want to make sure I'm not having a big Barney with your children who don't like me because I'm the new evil stepmom about whether that money's going to be paid back. Yeah. And hopefully these sorts of conversations are becoming a bit less taboo. I think, you know, 40, 50 years ago, these conversations probably weren't on the table and the role of women and all those sorts of things would have been quite different when you come into relationships and, you know, who controls the finances and all of that part. So one thing I think works really well, though, is to good cop, bad cop, is to let you guys be the bad cop. So, you know... um, I think you guys play a really vital role in all this is having those conversations and raising these issues. Mm. So then then potentially it's not, you know, the wife having to raise it with the hubby yeah. that the advisor can sort of, you know, touch on these things and say, well, what are we going to do here? And maybe even give a bit of nudge with a bit of recommendation like, oh, I think we should do this, you know, obviously, you know, planning forward mm. just so that it all plays out the way we think it will. Yeah. So I think advisors 
have a key role in this, in those difficult conversations that people don't really want to sit down and have over a meal. Yeah, it's always easier to do that if you've got a third party that's kind of, you know, it's not your friend, it's not not your spouse, it's it's much easier to to open that up. So, yeah, you're definitely right there. And it takes the emotion out of it too because you're not in the relationship. It's just someone who can step back and be a bit more neutral. Yeah, that's right. Be be that unbiased position in in all of it. So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's. I think that's been really great, Sue. A fear. I didn't know we could speak about loans in such detail. <laughs> I'd be so interested. So thank you. <laughs> it's definitely a very um, in-depth area. Like we said, we took a bit yeah. more of a d- deep dive today, and um, we definitely needed the specialists in the room to be able to do that. So um, to wrap it up, we just want to thank you so much for coming and joining us today and giving us your insight. Uh, I know personally, I get you know absolutely boggled when we're going through all of this. So you've really made this a lot easier to understand, even for me. Um, But for our listeners, um, if you've gotten some value out of the learnings from today and you want to learn a little bit more about family loans, please reach out to us or reach out to Suze at Mackay Solicitors um, and make sure you do that before you jump into lending anyone money. So please come back and visit us anytime, Suze. And for our listeners, don't forget if you like today's podcast, give us some love, share our podcast through on your socials and we'll speak to you next time on Wealth Experience. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So much fun. The opinions of the presenters are objectively ascertainable and are not intended to be financial product or personal advice.